You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Participants in the Duke Diet and Fitness Center lose an average of three pounds per week, and 80% of those surveyed one year after completing the program have maintained or even improved their weight loss. What is their secret to success? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Dr. Howard Eisenson, the Program Director of the Duke Diet and Fitness Center. Also with us is Dr. Martin Binks, the Director of Behavioral Health and Research Director at the Duke Diet and Fitness Center. Dr. Binks, let's start with you. Can you please outline for us the specifics of the Duke Diet? Certainly. The approach takes a multi-component way of dealing with obesity to kind of looking at the whole person from the perspective of nutrition, fitness, behavioral and emotional contributors, and also with an eye towards what medical conditions are affected or how, how medical issues play into the overall picture. We take an integrated approach with all of the components of the program and bring them together in a way that we've been doing for over 40 years at the Duke Diet and Fitness Center in Durham. The overall approach is to help people to really manage their caloric levels through reducing intake, increasing activity, and to help them identify some of the triggers that cause them to go off of a plan. You know, the behavioral components, the emotional triggers to overeating or under-exercising are, are a core element in our approach. You know, my background actually is in, in addiction medicine, and it sounds like there's some similarities here. There certainly are overlaps with addiction. I think that there are a few few differences, but so many of the things that we, we look at from the behavioral point of view are you know, faulty coping mechanisms, overuse of food as a, an emotional coping device, overuse of sedentary activity as leisure behavior. There are just a, a lot of elements that are very similar. So obviously nutrition is a piece. Can you tell us more about that? As far as nutrition is concerned, uh, the bottom line is we're trying to help folks consume fewer calories on a, on a consistent basis. Some of that has to do with recognizing the caloric value of foods, what constitutes a healthy portion size, how to design meals that are filling and that are satisfying and yet are relatively low in energy density. We provide guidance about how to eat out safely, how to go shopping, organize one's pantry and prepare recipes in a, in a lower calorie way where substitutions might make sense. And we emphasize a balance of nutrients. One of the things that we bring forward that's useful here is we don't rely on a particular formula diet. We recognize that some people will better manage their calorie intake following a reduced carb regimen. Others do fine with a reduced fat regimen. And we present a range of options, and they're not locked into one mode. They can, they can actually switch between these if they wish. Now, is it realistic that patients are going to be able to do this on their own outside of your residential program? Sure. The, the whole program is designed to be applicable in the real world. There's no special foods or special supplements or esoteric eating plan. The way we're suggesting that people eat is applicable to everyone. Those who are a little overweight, those who are very overweight, and in fact, those who aren't overweight at all would do fine to eat the way we've outlined here. So we, uh, we intend for it to be, and we hear all the time that it is applicable to the real world. And of course, one of our, our major focus areas while people are at the Diet and Fitness Center is the sustainability of this once they leave because the immersion approach is a very protected environment and people's meals are provided and so forth. And one of the, the components that I, I manage at the Diet and Fitness Center is the lifestyle coaching or aftercare component. So during the program, we teach 
goal setting and action planning so that when people hit bumps, they can adjust to those instead of being thrown completely off track. We teach people about garnering the proper support system in their world and, and getting the people who may actually be getting in the way of their health efforts. So it's really the, the entire residential program, as it is in the book and on the website, is designed with an eye towards the future and the long term. And I think that's made it a, a natural fit that people can take this out into the real world and apply it. When we talk about increasing people's caloric expenditure, that always sounds good. But boy, that that's probably the hardest thing I have with my patients is getting them to move. What kinds of suggestions can we give our patients and what, what success have you had in, in getting people to exercise on a regular basis? I really like the way you phrased that. The getting them to move more is one of our primary goals. The word exercise scares so many people, especially people who have struggled with weight for so long because they've often gone into these uh, unrealistic exercising for hours on end. You know, I'm going to start my diet Monday and I'm going to exercise for three hours a day and then they end up hurting and as you know, they can't keep that up. Right, that lasts one day. (laughs) So what we talk about is how are you going to move more? For one person, that may mean adding more steps to their day or trying to be find some active leisure pursuits. For another person who's already in exercise mode, we've developed three levels of exercise for the website and the book. So we help people choose the level that fits where they are right now. So many of our patients are very challenged physically. Osteoarthritis of the knees is very common. Impairments of mobility from heart disease, lung disease, etc. And what people learn is that no matter where they're starting from, we can help them build on that. Sometimes it's appropriate to involve a physical therapist or uh, an exercise physiologist in designing an appropriate plan, but it's gratifying to see that everybody can start and, and build on that. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today are Drs. Howard Eisenson and Martin Binks, both from the Duke Diet and Fitness Center. We are discussing the specifics of the Duke Diet. What do you think is the hardest thing about your program for patients to really uh, make their own? That's an interesting question. I, I think it varies based on the individual because everybody comes to us with their own history. For one person, for example, exercise may be the biggest challenge because they've had some sort of embarrassing or uncomfortable experiences in the past. You know, the some people have had some very painful experiences with exercise, and and it, it just keeps them from even wanting to be seen exercising. For another person, they may have been so ingrained in the all-or-nothing diet approach, the fad diet approach, that they can't really see themselves doing the moderation that we described. So we, we really do have at the Fitness Diet and Fitness Center and in our outreach programs been able to meet people where they are and sort of walk them through and understanding that it might take some adjustment in the way they think about health and wellness for them to be able to fully embrace this approach. I would reinforce that. I, I agree with Martin. Even though folks say they understand it's a lifestyle and not a diet, What so often happens when people are trying to lose weight is they they hit a difficult period when they know they're not being as careful as they they want to be, as they should be. First thing that goes is they're monitoring. They stop stepping on the scale. We encourage them to weigh regularly. They stop looking. They stop paying attention. And before you know it, the whole program is unraveling. The exercise goes or the eating goes first, but the other one follows. And if we can get them to see, hey, this is normal, 
It's normal to be challenged. It's normal to have difficult times. It's not a fail, failure of willpower or discipline or a character flaw. But it's much healthier to make a commitment to continue monitoring. And if you start to see danger signals, if you start to see warning signs that your program adherence is waning, then have a recovery plan. Have some ideas about what you're going to do to get back on track. I'm interested in the weighing. How often do you suggest people weigh themselves? This is one that recent research has supported. I've been working with this framework for many years, actually, and, and the research recently shows that people who weigh daily, in fact, do better over the long term than people who weigh less frequently, either weekly or monthly. It's something that's a little controversial or difficult for some patients because they see that daily weighing as a punitive element because the scale bounces up and down and and they react to that. And as a psychologist, it's interesting to see that if you get somebody to step on the scale and put it on an actual graph, you know, just keep a piece of graph paper there, they habituate or become used to those bounces in the scale so it doesn't take on the horrific meaning that it used to. I feel the piece of graph paper or maybe a computer graph is essential to this because they'll see that over the course of a month, even though it bounced three pounds one day and up and down, that there's a trend over time towards weight loss or weight maintenance. And there are a few people that shouldn't. People that have maybe had uh, eating disorder histories like bulimia or anorexia aren't advised to weigh that frequently. But in, in general, many of our patients that were so against daily weighing have picked this up as a tool that they just won't, they, they just find it so useful that the scale's no longer the enemy. That sure makes sense from a behavioral reinforcement point of view that, gosh, this really is working over the long run. But but yeah, I always thought that that was something you, you didn't do when, when you were helping people lose weight. So that's very helpful. Now, is there a role for, for medical treatment in all of this, of, say, for medications? Yes. I consider that the medications that are available today can be a useful adjunct, but I emphasize the word adjunct. They're not a replacement for appropriate changes in, in diet and activity. There's some good research showing that folks who use Orlistat, the so-called fat blocker, or Cybutramine, so-called appetite suppressant, Cybutramine, brand name is best known, Meridia, and uh, Orlistat, of course, the brand is Zenical, and now that's available under the name of Ally as an over-the-counter product. And I think if those are used as part of a comprehensive lifestyle change effort, they can help people lose a modest amount additional weight and better maintain their weight loss. How would you suggest a primary care physician make the decision of whether or not to use those meds? Well, again, I think that would be a, a negotiated thing with the patient. First of all, I would follow the published guidelines, which suggest that medications may be an appropriate adjunct for patients with a body mass index of 30 or above, in other words, in the obesity range, unless they have significant obesity comorbidities, diabetes, sleep apnea, hypertension, particularly if it's difficult to control, bad osteoarthritis. In those cases, it may be appropriate to consider medications at a lesser BMI, a BMI, say, as low as 27. And I think if the physician emphasizes that this is an additional tool uh, and the patient is interested in trying the medicines, It might make sense. Unfortunately, not everybody is a candidate. For instance, I mentioned hypertension and the cybutramine, the meridia, may raise pulse, may raise blood pressure. So it's not the optimal choice where there are blood pressure issues or rhythm issues or cardiovascular disease. And for those who already have problems with uh, bowel function, say irritable bowel syndrome or inflammatory bowel disease, probably not a good idea 
to use a drug that blocks fat absorption like the Orlistat or, or Zenical. I guess Ally really hasn't been out long enough to know what effect being over-the-counter will have. you have a prediction of how it's going to take off or not? I think a lot of people will try it. I think the side effects, to some extent, will limit its use. A pretty significant percentage of people will have undesirable side effects, loose stools, oily stools, frequent stools, even fecal leakage of fatty material from the Ally, and that will obviously be a turnoff. And uh, the weight loss results will probably be modest. You know, we're talking about people losing a couple of kilograms more than they might otherwise without the medication and keeping the weight off a little bit better. That's probably not the kind of whopping weight loss results that many people are looking for. I think there will be an initial flush of enthusiasm, and then I think it will settle down to a more moderate level of interest. I want to thank our guests today, Dr. Howard Eisenson and Dr. Martin Binks, both from the Duke Diet and Fitness Center. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.